I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of people. And the life everlasting. Amen. Father, we are gathered here in your presence uh, today, Lord, calling upon you as our Father. Lord, as your Son, the Lord Jesus, taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored as holy. And that is our heart's desire here today, that we would worship you, that we would bless you for all the benefits that we receive from being your children, Lord God, that you have compassion on us as a father has compassion on his own children. I pray that you would reveal that to us today as the word is preached, that, um, that it would sink deep into our hearts, Lord God, and that we would be changed as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, last week we did start a series uh, called Real Faith, uh, where we're looking at the Apostles' Creed. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Apostles' Creed, it was an early statement of faith uh, that was developed around the third century uh, that the Christian church has kind of uh, looked to uh, throughout uh, its existence as um, what the apostles actually taught. Right? This, that's why it's called the uh, Apostles' Creed. So we are using it um, as a basis for uh, the topics that we're going to be looking at throughout uh, this series. So um, it mentions several things. So uh, last week we looked at uh, the words, I believe. This week we're going to look at uh, uh, this right here. God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. So we are looking at this part. Uh, we're going to focus on the Father um, here, uh, here this morning. I want to start out with a question, though. How are fathers portrayed in our world today? Just think about that. How are, how are the dads portrayed in our world. Um, I mentioned uh, last week, uh, me and my girls, we, we watched the movie uh, Spider-Man uh, Across the Spider-Verse, so I got more criticisms uh, uh, today. Um, but there's, there are two dads in the film, and both dads are confused. They don't really know what's going on in the life of their kids, even though they're like, mm, they're like police officers, they're beefed up. Um, they're teenage kids, and, and uh, a teenage girl has to rescue dad, right? That's not reality, by the way. At least it shouldn't be. Um, but this is how uh, dads are portrayed uh, in the world. We need to be rescued from our uh, cats and, and uh, by our cats. And, um, you know, we need help from the teenagers. And, and uh, dads uh, are not doing, uh, the, things are not good for dads today. Roughly half of kids are born to fatherless homes. You need to really think about that. Half of the kids that are born in our world today are born to fatherless homes. That means it's normative. It's normal for kids to grow up in our world today without a father. Men 
are not hitting the traditional marks of moving from boy to man? Just think about, what are those? Boy to man, how does that happen? Well, here's, here's one. You, you find a wife, and then you uh, build a family. You, fa- you father kids, and, and you, become, you become a father, right? Uh, fa- uh, fathers not being around, uh, father absence is related to increased rates of depression. Kids without dad are a far greater risk of incarceration. Little girls that grow up without dad telling them that they love them and they're beautiful, far greater risk for teen pregnancy, and all kinds of horrible things. Without dad, children are more likely to live in, live in poverty and commit suicide. So people grow up in our world today, they're in our world, and they have a hunger for father. Right? Father hunger is real. And this can be seen, father hunger can be seen in uh, people living for instant gratification. Right? I'm just trying to, I got to get that quick fix, uh, you know, instant uh, gratification. Um, uh, dad wasn't around. Maybe he was there and he was hands off, he was passive, he let mom do everything, and no one taught the kids this word. No. This is what dads are there for to say, all right, no, and yes, this way. All right, I remember uh, uh, one of my girls, she was about uh, nine months old, and she was moving towards, she was crawling towards something that she probably shouldn't have been, and I said, no. She turned around and looked at me, and she went right, right after him, right? She knew exactly what I was talking about. Now, she wasn't able to say, you know, Dad, I don't care what you say, but she said it with uh, her face and uh, her actions, right? And um, she got a consequence. She got discipline. She's still alive. She's good. We have a good relationship here today. <laughs> um, father hunger. So, so father hunger is the influence behind much drug abuse. So if dad isn't around to say, hey, go this way and not that way, and, and kids learn uh, it's okay to just to, uh, get instant gratification, then it makes sense uh, why we would pursue that, they would pursue that through drugs and alcohol. And I see this every day in my work. I could tell you numerous stories just from last week about people telling me about dad not being around or the evil things that dad did to them. Father hunger gives rise to looking to celebrities and men online. Right, guys like Joe Rogan and, and so on and so forth, uh, to show us the way. Right, why are people so passionate about politics in our culture today? I'm not saying you shouldn't be, but there's a lot of different reasons why people are passionate about uh, politics. G.K. Chesterton, he was a um, Christian philosopher, apologist. This is what he said. Once you abolish the God, the government becomes God. Or we could say, when dad isn't there, doesn't take responsibility, the government will step in. And then people in our world today are looking for dad. They're hungering, right? So if the government fulfills that role, then, then uh, they'll be passionate about that. But even if you had the best father in all the world, he still cannot be God the Father. The best Christian dad cannot be your heavenly father or, and be for you only what uh, God the Father can be. The reality is that all of us have a father hunger, whether we, uh, whether we realize it uh, or not. This, if you're here and you're not a Christian today, you don't know really where you're at with God the Father, this is the missing piece in your life. This is the missing puzzle piece that you, you have been, the void that you've been trying to fill your whole life. This is it. It's the fact that uh, um, this is the relationship you've always wanted and always needed in your life. 
This is what Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 uh, says. God, he has made everything appropriate in his time and he has put eternity in their hearts. God the Father puts eternity into our hearts. No one can discover the work that God has done from the beginning to the end. So God the Father put a longing for him, God the Father, in your heart. And only he can uh, fulfill. That's why fatherhood is really all we need. That's the big idea today. Fatherhood is, is all we need. We, we sing a song here. It's based upon the Lord's Prayer. And, and, the, and the song says, Father, you're all we need. We sang it last week. It's a beautiful song. But do we really believe that? We're praying to God, Father, you are all, all we really need. Jesus, throughout his ministry, referred to God as his Father all over the place. In fact, in, fact, in the book of John, it's, it's like over 120 times Jesus uh, talks about God being Father. One of the most famous examples... Uh, in Jesus' teaching is um, the, pro- the story of the prodigal son. And um, let's look at it. Luke 15, 11 through 16. He also said, that's Jesus, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. I have come to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all that he had and he traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate and foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, who sent him, sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Now, there are three characters in this story. There's a dad and two sons. And one of the sons wanted his inheritance before his dad passed away, right? Which, is, if you think about it, is, is, is downright hateful. It's basically like wishing dad would uh, be dead just so you could have um, his stuff. But for him, it was like hitting the lottery. You know, he got, he got all, all the wealth uh, that was, was coming to him um, from the father, um, which... When you hit the lottery, it typically doesn't go well for you. I don't know if you've ever looked into that, but like 70% of lottery winners, um, you know, they, it destroys their life. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, but what about the other 30%? Probably not a good thing for them uh, either. There's a famous case in, uh, story in West Virginia, a guy named Jack Whitaker, southern part of West Virginia, hit the lottery, won like $314 million. It utterly destroyed his life. Um, so this is what happened to um, the son here. He should have been with his family, should have been with his father, but he chose to run away instead, and he found himself working with the hogs and being hungry for the food that, they, um, that he was feeding them because he, he lost it all. But his hunger was really a father hunger, and Jesus is teaching this story to teach us about ourselves and about God and about his wor- world. So the son, these two sons are really a picture of us. Right? Jesus tells two more stories prior to this one in Luke chapter 15, and they're both about things that get lost. Right? One of them is about the, is the story of the lost sheep. Right? So Jesus says, we're like lost sheep that, that wander off and, and go astray and get into, and get into a mess. And this, is how, this is what Isaiah 53 uh, verse 6 says. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And, and this is one of the ways the Bible talks about sin. It is wandering off from God the Father, that we were meant to be with him, to belong to him. 
but we run away from them instead. I had a, a toothache past couple uh, weeks, and uh, that's one of my great fears, right, having a toothache. So as soon as it started, man, I, I, I was in to see the dentist. They gave me an antibiotic. That was a miracle, right? I have no pain whatsoever uh, right now. So all of us have an ache in our souls, an ache for God the Father, a longing for him that we've been looking for our whole life, and only he can touch that. Only he has the antibiotics uh, to take care of that uh, pain. So this story that we're looking at is famously called the story of the, the, the prodigal son or the lost son, but it's really about God the Father. It also teaches us about uh, God the Father. So it teaches us that we need the Father's love. Let's look at that. Verse, we need the Father's love. Look at verses 17 through 21. When he came to his senses, this is the son, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So here was the son at the bottom, broke, busted, poor. He had nothing left, and he wakes up. All of a sudden, he comes to his, uh, his senses, and he remembers his father. So he writes an apology speech, and he's willing to settle just to be an employee, just to be a worker uh, for God the Father, and he heads home. And you know the, the father must have been longing for him to come home, uh, waiting for him to come home, right? It says that, uh, that he, he, was, um, he saw him from a long way off, and his heart was filled, the father's heart was filled comp for compassion for his lost son, and he ran, right? Which, by the way, in that culture uh, was unacceptable, right? Men didn't uh, run, especially uh, older, uh, wealthy gentlemen. Uh, it was embarrassing, I, uh, I spent 10 years in the inner city of Richmond, and one of the things I observed there uh, during my time is that nobody runs in the inner city. And if someone is running, then you might want to run too, right? It, it means something's going down. It's actually very helpful, right? If you see someone running, then you know uh, something's up, and you, you, know, you probably want to head to a, a safe place, right? Uh, similar thing in that, in that culture. The father embarrassed himself on purpose in his love and excitement for his son. The story is trying to teach us about God's heart for us. So in the context of the story, the, the, the situation out of which Jesus tells this story is all kinds of people coming to Jesus. Like the most unlikely people. Like the people out in the community that you think, man, if they came up in the church building, it would catch on fire or something. Or that's how they think. Those are the people that were coming to Jesus. And it's because of that he tells the story. Right? So Jesus tells the story about God the Father because people are coming to him, Jesus, to believe in him and, and to follow him. So here's, here's what I'm saying. We can see the heart of God the Father in the hands of Jesus Christ. Right? See, God sent his son into the world so that we could know him. And we can have a relationship with him. And we can, we can know what God the Father is like in his heart for us 
in the person of Jesus. And think about it like this. If you, you take an old piece of furniture and you're trying to restore it and you strip it down, you put a stripper on it and you take off all the layers of paint and you get down uh, to the wood grain. If we were to do that with the world, we would strip away everything. Strip away our lives, strip away all of human history, strip away all the planets, the earth, the galaxies, all of the universe and all the stars and we get down to the wood grain, what would, we, what would be there? What would we find? We would find a father. Think about that. You see, God the Father has to be there for life to make sense. And he is there. So the fatherhood is all we really need. Because when you boil everything down, the, you know, the, he is ultimate reality. Right? He has always been there. And the story goes on. Luke 15, 22 through 24. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. The son who came home, sandals on his feet, then bring the fat and calf, slaughter it. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. So this sorry son of his gets his sorry speech ready. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of this story. He said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home with my apology speech. I'm going to lay it out before my father. And the, he, he tells his dad. He goes to tell his dad this sorry speech. And I'm willing to be just a employee dad and his dad won't hear one word of it he says all right he, he gives him his best suit he gives him his ring I mean he gives him everything he says all right let's, throw, let's put the steaks on the grill it's time to celebrate this son of mine uh, was estranged from me was lost and uh, and has come home it's time uh, to party Jesus has given us a window into the heart of God the father for his children this is God's heart. This is what God is like, is what Jesus is saying. Like this. He doesn't want to hear our sorry speech. He doesn't want us to grovel. Right? He doesn't want you to simply be uh, an employee. He wants you to be a son or daughter. And it's even better than that. God the Father is not waiting for you to come home to him. Because the story is about, in, in reality, what's happened is God sent Jesus to seek and to save his lost children. And they're coming home to him in the story. So God sent Jesus into the world to come and get you and to come and find you. Right? He raises up churches to preach the good news of, God, of the gospel. Christians to go out in the world. The people that you're friends with, you know, that, that have come to you and shared the good news of Jesus uh, with you. This is the message of the cross. The message of the cross and the tomb and the resurrection is God the Father seeking his children, to come home to him, uh, to belong to him. So we need the Father's love. Number two, we need the Father's power. See, this is what the creed says. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe in God the Father Almighty. What does it mean? What do you think? What does it mean for God the Father to be Almighty? Well, here's what it means. Whatever he wants to do and he promises to do, he can and will do. How about that? Whatever God wants to do and promises to do, that's what he's going to do. I'll give you an example. Psalm 115, verse 3. I just read this this morning. Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Maybe, maybe you think of God as uh, like the big man upstairs. 
like he's like a loving grandfather, you know, but he lives across the country, and you know, you talk to him on the phone every once in a while, and uh, maybe he sends you a gift for Christmas, but he's not really in your life. He's not really involved on a day-to-day basis. He can't really help you with anything. Um, he can't actually wrap his loving arms uh, around you. See, Jesus and the creed are saying that God is so much better than we could ever possibly imagine. That God, our Father, is eternal. He has always been there. God, our Father, is self-sufficient. He's like a, a subsistence uh, farmer, subsistence living, right? You know, they, they, they get all their food from their property. Right? They have all their stuff there. They're, they're, they're self-sufficient, self-sustained uh, on their own land. Our Father has everything that he needs to live within himself. You have to just kind of just try to wrap your mind around that little. God doesn't need anything for his life. What do we need? Oh, we need everything, right? Our Father is independent, right? He, he, he doesn't need anything. He is eternal. He, uh, um, God is stocked up, like he, he, his woodshed, his pantry, everything, like his bank account, he's, he's loaded. He's good to go for all of eternity. He has every resource uh, within himself, right? And here, here's my point in saying and telling you that. Our Father has something to give you. He has something to offer you, right? We don't serve God and worship God as if he needed something from us. No, Right? He gives us everything, the Bible says, our life, our breath, everything. And here's one of the things God does with his almightiness. He adopts us as his children. Look at uh, John chapter 1, uh, 12 through 13. John here is talking about Jesus, but all who did receive him, all who received Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God to those who would believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, not in the family tree, or the will of the flesh, the will of man, but of God. So, John is saying here that everyone who becomes a child of God does so only by the will of God. Uh, because God wanted you to be his child. Right? All those who receive Jesus are adopted into God's family by his power. By his power to accomplish his purposes, his will, and his plan. And that is his plan. Listen, we don't have the power to um, uh, be a part of God's family in and of ourselves. Right? That's what it says here. It's not of natural descent. It's not, you, you, you're not a child of God just because you grew up in a Christian family or, or you went to church growing up or whatever. It's not of the will of the flesh or the will of man. It's not because we try harder and we try to be a Christian. We try to clean our life up. No, but of God. That means it's God's almighty power to bring you close to him, to draw you in to make you uh, his child. But he adopts us, according to this passage, when we receive Jesus. So, have you received Jesus? Right, if you have received Jesus, what's that say? Then you are his child. You, you belong to him. And then that, the fact that you want to receive Jesus and believe in him is God's power at work uh, in your life. Another example of the almighty power of God uh, in our lives is, is the presence of the Spirit. Uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, uh, in our lives. You know, this creed, the creed makes clear that the God that we believe in is Trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So 
the Father, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. They are the living God. That is the one true and living God, the God who exists for all of eternity in these persons. Let's look at the, uh, the, the Spirit here in uh, Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption. Right, how beautiful is that? By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified um, with him. See, the, the Holy Spirit is like a compound bow. Right, you, you pull the bow back. And the bow has the power to shoot the arrow at the target, right? And the target that God is trying to hit in our lives with the, with the power of the Spirit is our adoption. Our, our adoption as uh, his children. This passage makes it clear um, that if we are led by God's Spirit, then we are his sons. That if we cry out to God as our Father, then we are his children. You see that right there. Right? This is what the Spirit does. Uh, the Spirit does in, in our lives. Uh, if the Spirit tells us that we are His children, then most likely we are. And if we are God's children this morning, then God has something to give to us. This is my whole point. That our Father is almighty and has something uh, to give to us. Remember, remember the story of uh, um, Luke 15, the son lost everything, didn't he? He lost all of his inheritance. Um, he squandered it away. The good news of the gospel is that we get everything back in Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. And here's what I mean. Everything that Adam lost in the beginning, we get back in Christ. Adam lost everything. He lost God as his father. Right? He lost his relationship with his wife. Um, he, he, he lost his relationship with his children, right? It was a tragedy after that. Uh, he lost the world, right? He lost his life. He eventually uh, died. He lost the battle against his, his enemy, uh, Satan, and sin. But in Christ, everything is restored. Everything that Adam lost, Jesus come as a better Adam and reverses um, that curse. I love this at the end of uh, Romans 8, how it, how it ends here. It says... And we're co-heirs with Christ, uh, or also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Let's think about that. God has given Jesus everything. Just like Adam got the world in the beginning and blew it, God 2.0 gives everything to Jesus. He gives him the entire universe, and guess what? We uh, are a part of the family now. We, are, we inherit everything uh, in Christ. When Jesus, as the creed says, comes from the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the judge, the living, and the dead, when the resurrection of the body happens, and what is the life everlasting? It is we inherit all that Jesus inherits because we are his children. Number three, we need God, the Father's guidance. Let's look at the creed again. We need the Father's guidance. Let's look, at, look at what it says. That we believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator, of heaven and earth. See, our Father is our creator. He is the creator of heaven and earth. 
We, uh, last couple of weeks, we, uh, we had an, a mini-split system uh, uh, installed in the back here. And uh, the mini-splits, they have the, the manufacturer, they have the model number, they came with an instruction manual, install uh, manual. And what's that saying is, okay, if you want to know what this uh, machine is and does, right, the manufacturer tells you. Tells you exactly how all the little buttons and everything and how, how, it, uh, how it works. And it's the same with God the Father. God made us. He made the world. And he knows. He knows you. Right? He knows how you should operate. He knows uh, how life works best. And he has your best interests in mind. Everything that he tells you right, is for your good. So back to the story in Luke 15. There's only one more character left. We talked about the younger son. We talked about uh, God the Father. Now the uh, older brother. When the older brother saw that his son returned, the one who hurt his father, um, lived a reckless life, lost his inheritance, and he had been a good boy his whole life, he became embittered, angry, and uh, you know, didn't want to party with everybody. Look at Luke 15, 29. The older son replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate uh, with my friends. So what is this saying about what he thinks about the father? Well, he's, he's, he's saying that, well, because I worked hard for you, God, uh, father, you owe me. I slaved. I never disobeyed you. Where's my, where's my, where's my goat? Where's my, where's my stuff, right? Um, yeah, he, he, uh, when, when you guys go to work, when you uh, go to work uh, this week and you do your job, you are owed a paycheck, right? That's right. It's not the way it works with God, though. It's not the way it works with God the Father. God the Father does not owe us anything, Right, we can't twist his arm, manipulate him, bribe him, intimidate him. He doesn't owe us, but he loves us, and he is gracious, and he freely gives to us everything that we need and way more than we deserve in his son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what I want to point out to you this morning. God's grace is not opposed to putting in work. God's grace is opposed to earning but it's not opposed to your effort in life. God the Father wants you to put in a lot of effort in your life, in your Christian life and out in the world. God's grace doesn't mean that we can just be lazy and he does everything for us. And just, you know, but he, has, he has stuff for us to, stuff for us to do. Let me just share a couple areas of effort. He wants us to put in effort in our prayers. Look at Matthew chapter uh, 6, verse 9. And this is the Lord's Prayer. Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Now look at it right there. You should pray like this. So Jesus is expecting us to put in effort uh, in our prayers. And right before that, Matthew chapter 6, he tells us, okay, here's how you're not supposed to pray. Don't pray thinking that you're going to get stuff from God. Don't pray trying to earn stuff from God, by how maybe you say the words um, or the length of your prayers or how loud you are or maybe uh, because they're sound theologically or anything like that, right? 
uh, we don't pray thinking that uh, somehow we're going to earn things to God, but we are to put effort in our, in our prayers in order to get to know God as our Father. Here's what I know about you, you dads in the room and, and me as well. I want nothing more than to have a good relationship with my daughters, with my kids, to know them, for them to come to me and to talk to me and to tell me what they got going on in their life, whether it's just something silly or maybe they have something serious. They want to get off the chest and they want to uh, talk to dad. And I'm a sinner. I'm, I am flawed. How much more God our Father. Just think about that. Think about that. If I want to have a good relationship with my kids and I want them to come to me and to talk to me, how much more God the Father. He wants to spend time with you. Think about that. Is that how you think about your prayer life and, and God? And you can spend time with him. It's very simple. All you got to do is take this book, open it up to like a good passage, like in uh, Psalm 103. Read that. Because what's happening when you read it is God your Father is talking to you. And you're in his presence, spending time with him, and you can say, Lord, I thank you for all these benefits that I have. I thank you that you forgive all my sin. God, thank you that you're that good of a father that you would send your son uh, for someone like me. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are my father and you have compassion on me uh, like, like, like a father has compassion. Uh, that's all prayer is. Prayer is just talking to God. It's taking... Uh, I think God has said a lot to you, okay? You just take all this stuff that God says to you and you can have a conversation with him. I, trust me, you won't ever run out of things to pray about again. You just read it and he's talking to you and then you talk to him about um, what he said to you. So we need to put effort in in our prayers. We need to put effort in to not being anxious in life. Jesus tells us this on down in Matthew 6, 25 to 26. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than the food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Jesus is saying that God the Father is the cure for anxiety. Nothing else is going to touch it, by the way. Nothing else is going to touch your worry, your anxiety. The root problem uh, of it all is forgetting, not believing, not resting in the fact that God feeds the birds. And they're not worried. How much more important are you as his child? God will take care of you. God will take care of you. God, this is what I know for sure. As a child of God, as a Christian, God has taken care of your biggest problems. He has defeated sin, death, hell, and the devil in Christ. If he's taking care of those big things, then what is it that you're worried about right now? He can handle it. He can handle it. And we can go to him. Right? We can take all of our, 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 our burdens and just dump it into his lap as our father. All right, this, is, this is what a good dads want their kids to do. When they're worried about something, you come to dad and, and let, me, let me carry that uh, uh, burden for you. Your father uh, wants to do that for you. Uh, love this passage, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. That's one you've got to memorize, right? You can take all your burden and all your anxiety and all your fears and all your worries and you can just cast it all uh, onto God because he cares about you. So we need to put effort in, in that area. We need to put effort into... Um, 
when we're experiencing pain in our life. Look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Paul, writing to the, um, the church at Corinth, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction. Look at those words there right there. Um, go back one slide, Jaden. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. This is the way that the Bible talks about God. Uh, God is our Father. Our Father is the Father of, of mercies and all comfort. So whenever you're going through something difficult, some type of pain and tragedy, suffering, um, whatever it might be, God is there. Right? He hasn't stopped being Father and, and left or anything like that. And just think about it. Where else are you going to go? When you're going through a hard time and you're, you're suffering uh, in your life, whatever, whatever it might be, where else are you going to go? Right, you have a father that you can go to right, who loves you, right, who is with you, right, who cares about you. Because God is our father, we can trust him and obey him in the, in the, in the hard times. Whenever we're going through difficult times, it's not the time to start disobeying. Right? It, it, that is the time we need to really put in effort. Right? When, when you're going, this is what I noticed. When people go through a, a hard time, they, they, they go MIA from the church. That is not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, we're supposed to go deeper in because this is where you're going to be reminded, hey, you remember God, the Father, he is the Father of all mercies. That he's with you. You can give him all of your, your anxiety and your fear and, and your loss and your, and, and your pain. And here's what we're trusting God our Father for. We are trusting him in our difficulty that all our bad things will turn out for the good. This is what the Bible says, that the God um, works all things together for the good of those who love him and call it according to his purposes. Now, good there means God's definition, God's plans. God doesn't work out all of our plans, by the way. Have you guys ever had a plan that, didn't, that failed? Are you praying to God about it? I wanted God. Uh, I, I think that's the story of my life, right? Most of my plan, plans and things, have, God's like, no, that's probably going to ruin your life, so I got something else for you, something good. This is, the, this is the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is something bad, the most horrible thing, brought about the best thing, the resurrection of Jesus. The cross was bad. The resurrection is good. Right? The death of the Son of God. This is what we're trusting God our Father for. Our bad things will turn out for good and that our good things can never be taken from us. Listen, you can lose everything in life. You know that. We live in a difficult world. We live in a world filled with pain and suffering, misery. Here's what can never be taken from you, the fact that you're God's child. Our children can be taken from us. We can lose our money. We can lose our jobs. We can lose... Our, our friends, you know, people die, they pass away, and uh, whatever it is, what God has given to you as a son or daughter can never be taken away. And this is what we got to trust him for in the, in the dark times, difficult times, and lastly, that the best things are yet to come. Our good things, turn, our, our bad things turn out for good. Our good things can never be taken from us. The best things are yet to come. When Jesus Christ comes from the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he makes everything new again. He takes all the bad things out of the world, all the bad things out of our heart and life and makes uh, the world new again. Because we believe in this God.
God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth.